Welcome to Animals Today, your home for serious talk about animals. I am Peter Spiegel. Well, great news from Florida for our beloved greyhounds. Really an amazing uh, culmination of events. I am so pleased to uh, welcome Christine Dorchak. She is the president and general counsel for Grey2K USA, and she is here to describe this amazing victory. Hi, Christine. Hi, thanks for having me on. Give us a summary of what this great news is. Well, the passage of Amendment 13 is the most important event for Greyhound advocacy and adoption worldwide, anytime, anyplace. I cannot overstate that. The world of Greyhound racing and the fight to stop this cruelty will take an entirely new turn now. Florida was the first state to legalize dog racing any place in the world. And with Florida voters saying no more, other states and other countries will soon follow. Okay, so for those who are not familiar, what's so bad about dog racing? Well, you know, greyhound racing is nothing more than or nothing less than industrialized cruelty of greyhounds. These dogs are kept confined for 20 to 23 hours a day in stacked metal cages inside barren warehouses. They have little ability to socialize with each other. It's no life for a dog. The dogs are fed a diet based on raw 4D meat. 4D meat is USDA classification for meat unfit for human consumption. So this downer meat is the basis of their diet, and they have very delicate systems. They often succumb to sickness, and some dogs have even died in Florida from their own food. That's all they have to eat, and they eat it, and they get sick and sometimes die. When they are let out of their cages to race, they face the risk of serious injury. According to state record, a dog dies every three days in Florida at a racetrack. This cruelty will end as soon as Amendment 13 comes into effect. Why wouldn't owners of greyhounds or the kennels want to feed them better? Uh, They have an investment in these dogs. Well, there's always a cost-benefit analysis in place. Just since 2001, the amount of money wagered on greyhound racing has declined by 98%. There's no money in dog racing, and as a result, there's no money to take care of the dogs involved. But quite frankly, those in the industry don't see anything wrong with feeding dogs this low-grade meat. They don't see anything wrong with not giving them the kind of veterinary care you or I would give to our own dogs at home. These dogs are numbers to the industry. These dogs are measured for how much money they can earn and if, they, if it's worth it to keep feeding them, if it's worth it to keep them around. Many dogs are simply disposed of after they suffer a serious injury on the racetrack. Why? Because it would cost so much money to fix a broken leg. It's far easier and certainly cheaper just to destroy the dog. Mm. The lucky ones are released to adoption, but then the adoption group must absorb the cost of rehabilitating the dog. So this is an industry that has been creating a problem through overbreeding of greyhounds for years and then they turn that problem over to volunteer groups who do the best they can to try and save as many as possible but that's going to end now 
that choice will no longer have to be made. All of these dogs can now be released for adoption. You know, through your work and the work of uh, others, you indicated the industry is shrinking. How come we needed this amendment? Was this going to be inevitable? Well, I'm going to try to give you a short answer to that, Peter. <laughs> in, uh, in Florida and every racing state, unless we have changed the law, um, there is a live racing mandate in place. In Florida, the law requires that the tracks run at a minimum of 100 days of live racing per year. That means that that dog track owner, for instance, the Miami track, was losing $5 million a year on live racing. It made it up with slot machine gambling. So it kept, you know, rationalizing the fact that, well, we're going to take a loss of the dogs, but we'll make it up. There's no reason to force a business to offer a product, in this case racing, um, that's losing money on in order to offer another product that people want and they can make money from. That's not the American way. But unfortunately, that's the law in Florida. So dogs have been running around in circles with no one watching for decades because that's what the law required of dog track owners who wanted to keep their licenses. It's just bizarre. So describe what was done legally. This is an amendment to the Florida state constitution that was required here? Yeah, um, there are 24 states with the initiative process, 24 states where people can go to the ballot and they can change the law. In Florida, however, um, in order to change the law, voters must actually change the constitution. They can't simply have a statutory change. They must actually go into their own constitution and put the change into this, you know, very important document. Now, in our case, um, greyhounds were already in the constitution. So Amendment 13 amounts to a repeal of greyhounds. So greyhounds are being taken out of the constitution uh, by virtue of Amendment 13. But Additionally, not only is this such a, a high bar because it's a constitutional change, and that gives people pause, of course, but ballot questions must pass by 60% or more in order to take effect. So it's not a simple majority as we see in other states. It's a much, much higher uh, mark to hit in order to affect change in Florida. What percentage of the voters approved it? The voters approved Amendment 13 by a margin of 69% to 31%. We saw people from all walks of life supporting our ballot question. We had 1,000 volunteers in the field. We had 26 coordinators across the state who were talking to their neighbors, attending events, giving out flyers, doing all sorts of social media to educate people about the issue. This was really a true blue grassroots effort, and we were fortunate enough to be endorsed by everyone in a political stream from hard right Republicans such as Mike Huckabee and, of course, Lara Trump was um, an endorser to some of the most liberal lawmakers in Tallahassee, including Carlos Guillermo Smith, uh, gubernatorial candidate Andrew Gillum also endorsed. But beyond politicians, celebrities like Ellen DeGeneres, um, Pierce Brosnan, Alicia Silverstone endorsed businesses, shelters. It was just an amazing, uh, an amazing experience. People came out to support the Greyhounds. You know, and that's what makes our, our question really unusual. In this day and age where people are so divided, didn't have to be divided to vote on this question. It wasn't an R and it wasn't a D question. It was a dog question. 
people went into the ballot with open eyes and they voted for the dogs. Senator Tom Lee came to us in October 2017. He'd been the Senate president during one of the sessions in which we came very close to passing an end to dog racing in Tallahassee. And he always regretted that. He came to us in October 2017 and said, how would you like me to put this on the ballot? And we said, well, actually, we've already written the ballot question. We were going to go up in 2020. And so the stars aligned. Uh, we offered him um, our draft. He brought it before the Constitution Revision Commission, which is a 37-member commission um, that's appointed by the Senate president, the Speaker of the House and the Governor. The Attorney General also sits on this commission and was a real champion. Pam Bondi. Um, for, Pam Bondi was a real champion for um, what was then Proposal 67. Well, Proposal 67 was approved um, by the commission for the ballot, overcame a legal challenge by greyhound breeders who wanted to keep it from going to the voters. Uh, the Supreme Court ruled that it would stay on the ballot, and of course, uh, voters uh, greeted it with open arms, and they saw that this was an opportunity to make a change, a good change, and send a signal that greyhound cruelty isn't the right, isn't the right way to be. Florida doesn't want to be identified with this cruel industry anymore, and it's time to turn the page on this antiquated industry. You know, it was invented during a time and authorized in Florida during a time of the Great Depression. There was a need to find new revenue streams, and people took a chance on greyhound racing, not knowing what would have been involved and that millions of dogs would suffer as a result. Now we know. Now we know what happens to greyhounds in the greyhound industry. We know what happens to taxpayers. They lose money. Dogs lose their lives. There's just no reason to allow this cruelty to continue in Florida or anyplace else. You're probably taking a breather now, but you've got your sights set worldwide, don't you? Absolutely. Starting in 2013, Grade 2K USA became an international organization, and one of our you know, proudest moments happened just a few months ago. We closed the only legal dog track in China, the Canadrome, and we're now in the process of airlifting over 500 greyhounds to safety in the United States, the United Kingdom, and Europe. So we know that when a dog track closes, this is the best possible thing that can happen for greyhounds. And when we began the Canadrome campaign, a lot of folks said, well, if you manage to close this place down, what are you going to do with all the dogs? They're just going to be killed. We said, no, they're not. We're going to get them into adoption. And people kind of looked at us a little bit, uh, well, I don't know how you're going to do that. We're doing it right now. Um, dogs are coming in uh, to the West Coast and the East Coast, the Midwest, um, from the Canadrome. And it's just, it's such a happy day for us. Yeah. And we look forward to having the same experience in Florida. As the tracks begin to wind down over 26 months, these dogs will become available for adoption. And it's, it's just a happy ending. We've all been working for all these years. Greyhounds make good pets for what sort of family? Where is the best match? Greyhounds are some of the most wonderful companions for any type of person. They're so easy to care for. They're like giant cats. They don't shed. They don't bark. Rarely do you hear a dog bark, a greyhound bark. And all they like to do is just sleep in their comfy bed all day. So if you want an easy-to-care-for dog, a, a greyhound is for you. They're good for older people, younger people. Um, 
I have uh, at the present time one greyhound and four cats. So cats are not an issue either for the right greyhound. And don't wait for the phase out to begin. Greyhounds need homes now, as they always have. Christine Dorchak with Gray2KUSA. What's the website where people can learn more? Gray2KUSA.org. Well, thank you so much and congratulations. Well, thank you, Peter. More with animals today after the break. Welcome back to the show. Well, big news out of California. California Proposition 12 passed and big time. Uh, This was called the Prevention of Cruelty to Farm Animals Act. It was uh, largely sponsored by the Humane Society's Prevent Cruelty California. Uh, We spoke to them about half a year ago. Prevent Cruelty California raised more than $6 million in this effort. And they wrote, Dear California voters, we're thankful to you for passing Proposition 12 by a landslide margin of 61 to 39. Thanks to you, California will now have the strongest law in the world protecting farm animals from extreme confinement. Prop 12 will free millions of egg-laying hens, mother pigs, and newborn calves used for veal from cruel cages. We are so grateful to all the volunteers, donors, and coalition partners who made possible this historic victory for animals. So what exactly will this do? The new law will ban the sale of meat and eggs from animals confined to areas that don't meet minimum space requirements. And by 2020, calves will be entitled to 43 square feet each. Breeding pigs will be given 24 square feet and egg-laying hens will get one square foot and need to be cage-free. And of interest is that PETA opposed this proposition. They claim that this legislation will just make people feel better about the cruelty involved in consuming these products. Well, they have a good point there. Well, they were crushed. This passed by a huge margin, as you as you heard. So, look for changes in 2020. It's such a misnomer, prevention of cruelty law. I mean, you can't call what we're doing to animals we eat and factory farming anything but cruel, right? I mean, we're still confining these animals to a very small space. Yes, you're extending the area a little bit, but we're still causing immense suffering and death to these animals. And I do agree with PETA and think it just makes the consumer feel better about the purchasing and consumption of meat. Well, you've laid out the uh, classic animal welfare, animal rights dichotomy. Do you get where you want to go stepwise or is it all or nothing, right? Well, yes, I understand this dichotomy. And actually, can I jump in and talk about this for a minute? Because I think a lot of people listening may not understand the difference between animal welfare and animal rights. And it's, it's worth a brief discussion. Okay, jump in. So a great scholar of law and philosophy, Gary Francione, who's, who's been on the show before, and he's known for his criticism of animal welfare laws and regulations, and he's also known for his abolitionist theory of animal rights. He would argue that this law only serves to prolong the status of animals as property by making the public feel comfortable about consuming them. And furthermore, animal welfare, distinguished from animal rights, regulation is practically unsound. So the animal welfare theory maintains that it's morally acceptable to use non-human animals for human purposes as long as we treat them, quote, humanely and do not impose unnecessary suffering on them. 
So the goal of animal welfare is the regulation of animal use. Animal rights theory maintains that we have no moral justification for using non-human animals for human purposes, however humanely we treat them. And the goal of animal rights is to abolish the use of animals. So very different approaches, and he would compare the differences between the animal welfare and animal rights position as being very similar to slavery. Those who wanted to regulate slavery to make it more humane and those who wanted to abolish slavery. And there are these people who truly care about animals, who believe that we can achieve this end goal by making incremental changes that improve animal welfare. Like you said, Peter, the stepwise approach. So for example, by making slaughter more humane or improving the conditions of animals raised for food, like this Proposition 12, giving them tiny bit more space to move around, that this will eventually lead to the end of eating animals. And Gary would say there's no evidence to support this view. There's no evidence to support that these incremental changes will get us to that point. And if anything, animal welfare tends to facilitate animal exploitation because it makes people feel better about using or consuming animals. So if this law in California makes people think that hens are being treated humanely, they may continue to consume eggs or even eat more eggs. So all these animal advocates are saying, great, this legislation just passed. It's a victory for the animals. That's the words they use, victory for the animals. And the everyday meat eater hears this and they think, oh, okay, well, these crazy animal rights people are saying this is a victory for the animals, so it must be okay. I feel much better now about eating this meat or eggs or whatever. So he would argue that this position of these animal advocates is problematic. And I think everyone would agree, however, that as long as we're inflicting harm or pain or death upon these animals anyway, that of course it's better to do less harm than more. And he would acknowledge that it's extremely difficult to try to pursue any meaningful legislative or regulatory changes that will help to achieve this abolition because animals are property and the law protects property interests. But this law might be counterproductive in the overall movement, in his view. And his position would be you are not really acting more morally if you eat an animal who has been tortured less badly. And that the best thing you can do for the animals is become vegan. And that this is truly the only way to reduce agricultural animal suffering in a significant way. So this is pretty much a crude introductory distinction between animal rights and animal welfare and what we should really do is get Gary back on the show to explain this much better than I ever can. Well, that was pretty good, Lori, but yeah, let's have Gary back. Okay. Peter, this is from Live Science. There's something called the South Florida Water Management District's Python Elimination Program, which is a program that pays individuals to be snake hunters. Yeah, we've talked about them. Yeah, and track and kill invasive pythons. So as you know, Burmese pythons are an invasive species in the Florida Everglades, and these species are likely introduced to the ecosystem by owners of these reptiles who were people's pets and decided for whatever reason, probably because the animal got too large to handle, to release them into the wild. Well, these snakes breed rapidly and pose a serious threat to the birds, rodents, deer, and even alligators in the area. In fact, according to David Penning, a snake biologist at Missouri Southern State University, 
He says, since the snakes have shown up in increased numbers, we have seen a prominent drop in basically every animal that can be consumed by those snakes. So the state wants these snakes dead and they pay hunters on an hourly basis to look for them, plus a bonus when they kill them. And the bigger the snake, the bigger the bonus. According to a news release from the South Florida Water Management District, one of these professional bounty hunters caught and killed a 17 and a half foot long, 120 pound Burmese python. The python elimination program has removed nearly 1,900 invasive snakes since March of 2017, with this latest catch, this 17 and a half footer, setting a new record for the longest snake killed in this program. Yeah, that's great. I read that they found like thousands of lost ballots in this snake. That's right. <laughs> For the past quarter century, International Society for Animal Rights has fought the battle against dog and cat overpopulation. Its programs include reducing income taxes by allowing a deduction for spay and neuter expenses, preventing animals adopted from shelters from reproducing, and requiring the mandatory identification of dogs and cats to prevent dumping the unwanted. For a list of all ISAR overpopulation programs, please see their website at www.isaronline.org. Welcome back to Animals Today. So about a year ago, Peter, I gave you a quiz on songs with an animal in the title. Remember that? Yeah, I do. And you did pretty, pretty, pretty good. Today, same sort of quiz, but we're going to focus on, ready, Beatles songs. Mm. Beatles songs, titles containing the name of animals. Yes. And I would expect you to get every single question correct. You know, this is dangerous because I should, but I probably won't. So here we go. What is the title of the song? Here's your hint. This bird is famous for his magnificent and soothing voice. Oh, Blackbird. 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 Singing in the dead of night. Mm. Do you know what album? Oh, boy. Blackbird came from Revolver? White album. White album. Oh, yeah, of course. What year? Okay, happy birthday, White Album, 1968. Very good. Okay. Who sang it? McCartney. Very good. Okay. A large marine mammal with flippers and large tusks. Yes, I am the walrus. Very good. Do you know the year it was released and where? Mm. <laughs> no, uh, how about... Uh, 67. 67 is correct. And it was featured in the Beatles television film, Magical Mystery oh. Tour. Hmm. I am he, as you are he, as you are me, and we are all together. Yeah. See how they run like pigs from a gun? See how they fly. The name of this animal is derived from a Greek language, and it means eight-footed. Yes, Octopus's Garden. Yes. Album? Album Abbey Road. Yes. Year? 67? 69. Oh, darn. Sung by whom? Oh, Ringo Starr? Yes. Yeah. What was Ringo Starr's real name? Oh, Ringo St uh, Starkey. Yep, Richard Starkey. R Where would you like to be? Under the sea. With whom? With, with uh, in an octopus's garden. With whom? <laughs> with you. Thank I you. Guess, I guess. <laughs> okay. 
These farm animals are extremely intelligent, and some behavioral experts believe they are even more intelligent than dogs. Pigs. Yes. Stirring up the dirt. Little piggies. Little piggies. Mm. Always have clean shirts to play around in. (laughs) (laughs) Released on what album? How about White Album? Yes. Do you know who wrote the song and what it was about? Wow. Who would write that? Not George Harrison. I would say... John Lennon wrote George that. Harrison <laughs> as social commentary on class oh. and corporate greed. Mm. Everywhere there's lots of piggies living piggy lives. You can see them out for dinner. With their piggy wives. That's right. That's so funny. <laughs> I'm learning so much. You know, it's sort of embarrassing, you'd think. We're you know, Beatles fans. We should know this. I know, I know. I had to YouTube some of these to hear them and figure these out. Mm. Two other songs I know of from the Beatles with birds in their title. Do you know what they are? Actually, three. Three more songs with birds in the title. Birds in the title. Your bird can sing. And your bird can sing. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Boy, you're a stickler. (laughs) And that was? Oh, that was from Revolver. Yes, 1966. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, Blue Jay Way. Oh, yeah. Written by George Harrison, released on Magical Mystery Tour. And the third one, the full complete title of the song, Norwegian Wood, This, this Bird, Bird Has, has flown. flown. Very yes. good. Okay. Album and year? Oh. It's an album you haven't mentioned so far. Okay. Rubber Soul. Yes. 66. 65. <laughs> Next question. These are nocturnal mammals. Some might consider them to be nuisance animals since they can get into trash cans. Checked into his room. Only to find Gidgeon's bug. Uh, oh, Rocky Raccoon. Very good. What album? Oh, uh, Rocky Raccoon is, I don't know. White. Mm-hmm. Okay, there are four official breeds of this animal. They're named the French, blank, Old English, blank, Australian, blank, and right. the American, blank. Hey, Bulldog. Yes. That's a good one, too. This animal that is less than a year old is sometimes referred to as a foal. Yes. A pony. Yes. Uh, something like... Uh, mm. Dig a pony. Dig a pony, yeah. Album and year? I, mm, let it be... Yes, 1970. Yes. Yes. Didn't they perform this during their famous rooftop concert? Oh. It ends... Everything has got to... Oh, I just want to... Make you sing. (laughs) This does make me want to sing their songs, but then I'll be confirmed by anyone who's listening that I can't carry a tune. Okay, that's okay. Everything has got to be just like you want it to. Because... Remember? Yoko has entered the building. (laughs) Do you remember? (laughs) Do you remember Uh, I don't... I don't... Really, I I don't. I'll have to go on YouTube also. And that's the last word of it. Because... (laughs) Do you remember it now? I don't. It's not helping. (laughs) Everybody's got something to hide except... Except for me and my monkey. Yes. Album? Okay. White album. Yes. Yeah. This was a great beginning. Remember this? Yeah, that was a good one. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on is such a joy. Come on is such a joy. I know. Okay. Yeah. I wonder what that song is all about. I don't know. Yeah. You just want me to stop singing. <laughs> okay. What song of the Beatles opens with the sound of a rooster? Oh, uh, Good Morning, Good Morning. Yes. Album? 
That is Sergeant Pepper. You got it. Yeah, that was a good one. Inspiration for the song Good Morning, Good Morning came to John Lennon from what? <laughs> Boy, I don't know. Breakfast cereal. I don't know. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. Okay. Good guess from a television commercial for <laughs> Kellogg's Corn Flakes. Yeah, that's good. What Beatles song refers to Henry the Horse? Don't know. Being for the benefit of Mr. Oh, Kite. Okay. I have to play that in my mind. I guess it's in there somewhere. Yeah. Um, I mean, there are some people who really... Of course, Henry the Horse dances the waltz. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) What were you going to say? I was just going to say there are people who like study this stuff and they've got books and they're always, you know, I just, I never went that far. And that explains my B minus performance I'm giving you here. And that was from Sgt. Pepper's. Okay, here's a great one. Which song, written by Paul McCartney on the White Album, was about Paul's beloved dog? On the White Album? You know, it's funny. I think makes me think of Jet that he did with Paul McCartney. Right, that was that's about different. Dif- different, you know, yeah. A lot of dogs. And at the time, most people assumed McCartney was indirectly singing a message of love to his longtime ex-girlfriend, Jane Asher. Oh, I don't know, Lori. Go ahead. Martha, my dear. Really? Yeah, it was about Paul's English sheepdog. Here's one of the verses. Take a good look around you. Take a... I'm not going to sing. Take a good look around you. Take a good look. You're bound to see that you and me were meant to be for each other. Silly girl. So that... Words to the last chorus. Uh Uh-huh. Martha, my dear, you have always been my inspiration. Please be good to me. Martha, my love. Don't forget me. Martha, my dear. Mm, Well... That's deep doggy love, isn't it? Wow. So Paul McCartney's first pet, an yeah. old English sheepdog puppy that he named Martha. She was born June 16th, 1966. This is what Paul said about Martha. She was a dear pet of mine. I remember John, meaning John Lennon, being amazed to see me being so loving to an animal. He said, I've never seen you like that before. I've since thought, you know, he wouldn't have. It's only when you're cuddling around a dog that you're in that mood. And she was a very cuddly dog. Wow, that's going deep, Lori. Isn't it wow. sweet? It's it's sweet, yes. So the next time you listen to Martha, my dear, you'll think of Paul's English yeah, sheepdog. I will. Here are three songs with animals in the title that I haven't heard of, Peter. Free as a Bird. You know this one? Yes, that's a good one. Oh, really? Yeah. This was released as a single on December 4th, 1995, as part of the promotion for the release of the Beatles anthology video. Free as a Bird is a song originally composed and recorded in 1977 as a home demo by John Lennon. In 1995, a studio version of the recording, incorporating contributions from Paul McCartney, George Harrison, and Ringo Starr, was released as a single by the Beatles 25 years after their breakup. Mm. Three Cool Cats. Never heard of that Yeah. 1958 song, 58, written by Jerry Lieber and Mike Stoller. The Beatles' manager, Brian Epstein, personally chose this and the 14 other audition numbers from the band's Merseyside Dance Hall and Rock Club repertoire. The recording was included on the Beatles' Anthology 1. The Beatles' cover version featured George Harrison's vocals and Pete Best on drums. Oh, good old Pete Best. And finally, Leave My Kitten Alone. Hmm. You oh, that? I, he's... Uh... The kitten is his girlfriend, I guess, right? I think so. Yeah. 1959 R&B hit, written by Little Willie John, Titus Turner, and James McDougall, first recorded by Little Willie John and covered in 1960 by Johnny Preston. 
The song is also the 22nd song on the second disc to the Beatles Anthology 1. There you go. Okay, so uh, what's my grade for this? Not as good as you had predicted, I think. No, it's not as good as no, I predicted, but no. it makes you want to listen to Beatles songs, doesn't it? Does, it does. Okay. Thank so you. Good. Let's okay. go do that. Thanks. Okay. Peter, did you know December 4th is International Cheetah Day? Hmm. So I thought I'd talk a few minutes about cheetahs. Peter, did you know the cheetah is the fastest land animal knew, in the world? I knew that. I knew. Reaching speeds up to 113 kilometers per hour, which is about 70 miles per hour. Mm. And they can go from zero to 60 miles an hour in only three seconds. Of course, their slender, long-legged body is built for speed. And they can make these quick and sudden turns in pursuit of their prey. And they have exceptionally keen eyesight. Oh. When they're running, they use their tails to help them steer and turn in the direction they want to, like a rudder of a boat. Usually their chases are over in less than a minute, right? So they're not long-distance runners, they're sprinters. So here's a question for you, Peter. How can cheetahs be distinguished from other big cats? And I'll give you multiple choice, okay? A, by their smaller size. B, by their spotted coats. C, by their smaller heads and ears. Oh, that's tricky. I'm going to go with C. Actually, all the above. They also have very distinctive tear stripes that stretch from the corner of the eye to the side of the nose. Cheetahs only need to drink once every three to four days. Cheetahs are diurnal animals, thus more active during the day, and therefore they do their hunting during the light hours. They rely on the tall grasses for camouflage when hunting. Sadly, and like so many of our majestic beautiful animals in the wild, their numbers are dwindling. In 1900, there were over 100,000 cheetahs across their historic range. Today, an estimated 9,000 to 12,000 cheetahs remain in the wild in Africa. And another very interesting fact, did you know that unlike other big cats, cheetahs cannot roar? Oh, that's interesting. However, they they purr mm-hmm. on both the inhale and exhale like domestic cats do. Yeah, I wonder how they use that purr. That's interesting. Does it make you want to hug a cheetah? <laughs> no, it does not. <laughs> so there you go, Peter. International Cheetah Day, December 4th. Don't go away. More with Animals Today right after the break. back to the show. Animals Today is a project of the animal welfare nonprofit organization advancing the interests of animals. We are very fortunate to have some wonderful advisory board members, each with a unique and interesting story. Now I want to welcome back to the show, Frank Hoffman with All Creatures. Welcome back to the show, Frank. Glad to be here. Frank, tell us about your professional and or academic background and your current position. Well, I, uh, Change careers a little bit. I have a bachelor in science degree in chemistry. I've been in business management all along, and I also have a. I'm also a church pastor. So that's basically where it is, and that pastorship is what's carrying over into the ministry. And I publish a sermon every week and uh, do popcorn sermons, uh, which we publish out on our uh, YouTube and also on Facebook. How did you first become interested in the welfare of animals? 
I think that started uh, probably over 35, 40 years ago, and um, it started with different things that we saw and uh, the Silver Springs monkeys, if you can remember back to those days, uh, and there were some other things that came along, and we kept questioning it. And so it started then. We've been vegan for over 30 years, so that started sometime before that. It was, uh, I'd say, at least five to ten years before that. And Frank, did you have pets when you were growing up? Yes, and we've had several batches of them. Uh, And I don't usually call them pets. They're the companion animals. Exactly. But uh, we've had, well, the the last grouping we had, we had uh, one dog, four cats, and two birds. Very good. All foundlings. Yes, of course. Frank, who inspired or influenced you the most? I don't think there's any one person. I think it's, well, maybe the Lord, <laughs> because I think he opened our eyes to see more than anything else. Mm-hmm. And then other people sort of filtered in and added pieces to it. So I'd say that's where it started. It started with God. Okay. And describe your current activities that benefit animals. Well, Basically, we're doing everything we can to create a vegan world. So just by its very nature, stops people from eating animals or or exploiting them. Uh, We're also uh, been encouraged to start a a local church, and we're going to start one in, uh, in our home. And again, this is animal. It'll be an all-creatures um, church. We have one online now, the Compassion Internet Church, but we're going to uh, bring it more alive in the local area. We're having people wanting to come, so we're going to try that, and that's going to help in the local area as well as going out and other things like talking to you. That helps. Yes, it sure does. Frank, in your view, what are the most important problems or challenges for animals? People's indifference. I think that's the biggest single problem. Uh, the uh, don't tell me I don't want to know syndrome. And people just are indifferent to the suffering of animals. And if you try to educate them, they don't want to hear it. And the other one, which is parallel, uh, trying to get through to the clergy. Mm. They seem to be much harder of heart in general. And being one you know, I've, I've sat in meetings with a lot of them, and I can tell you it's true. Uh, then, uh, so we've been concentrating mostly on, uh, you know, the laity and the reaching everybody we can in the world. That's all. And we do go around the world. Considering the animal welfare and animal rights movement overall, how satisfied are you with its progress since you began working in the field? Well, giving uh, a chicken like Prop 12, giving a chicken 144 square inches of space is phenomenal. And I hope you caught my my sarcasm. I did. It's horrible. Right. Uh, They shouldn't be in cages at all, and they shouldn't be crowded into into farms. And most of all, we shouldn't be eating them and exploiting them. You bet. You bet. Frank, this is a tough field. How do you avoid burnout or compassion fatigue? Well... I lost that battle a few years back, and uh, but mostly it's focusing on the goal. And I find that you know I can do a lot more by focusing on what our objective is and not worrying about the problems that are going on. What advice would you like to offer younger listeners? Think for yourself. Don't listen to the adults that are trying to teach you to be cruel. 
if you have compassion for an animal, stay with it. You're right. So just don't get suckered into things. If you don't want the milk in school, don't drink it. That kind of stuff. Great advice. Anything else you'd like to offer? Just in general, go vegan. Yeah, that's probably the biggest one. And uh, start thinking compassionately and have empathy for the whole of God's creation. Not just for certain family members or relatives or a close friend, including your companion animals. It's got to be unconditional, unlimited. That's the kind of empathy we need. We need to feel the pain and suffering of the whole of creation. Then we'll do something about it. Great message. Frank Hoffman, thank you very much. If you're like most people, you have lots of plans. A financial plan, an exercise plan, a career plan. You also need a plan for the care of your pets when you no longer can provide it. Every day, animals are sent to shelters, terrified and confused because their owners have become incapacitated or died. Unfortunately, many of them get euthanized. Some people don't give the future a thought. Others assume family members will care for their pets. A better way is to name caregivers and provide detailed instructions about your pet's feeding, social, play, and health care needs. But even designated caregivers can't guarantee your pet will join a stable and loving home. Good intentions sometimes take a backseat to life's realities, like a new spouse who doesn't like animals, a sudden desire to travel the world, or the adoptive caregiver's own illness. A legally enforceable pet trust offers the only assurance that your assets will be used as you wish to provide for the comfort and care of your cherished animal companions. Almost every state recognizes pet trusts. Find out how to create one today and take steps to make sure your pet doesn't risk becoming yet another sad shelter statistic. Plan for your pet's lifelong well-being. This message is brought to you by Advancing the Interests of Animals. That's AIAnimals.org. That's AIAnimals.org. Hi, it's Dr. Lori Kirshner, host of Animals Today Radio, and I'd like to invite you to join me each week right here for the latest animal news from around the globe. From animals in the wild to animals on farms and in agriculture to our beloved dogs and cats, Animals Today tackles the important issues about their welfare and rights while promoting compassion and respect for all living creatures. And yes, Animals Today is your home for serious talk about animals, but there's big doses of fun and adventure for everyone. If you want to know what you can do to help tigers in the wild, or whether your family should adopt a tortoise, or why you should avoid buying puppies from pet stores, you will love Animals Today. So make sure to join us on this station each week. Visit us at animalstodayradio.com, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, and join the discussion on Facebook. And thank you for tuning in to Animals Today. This is Dr. Lori Kirshner encouraging you to nurture your love and compassion for the only other beings sharing our planet, the animals. Hi, this is Lori. And it's Peter here. And make sure you check us out at animalstodayradio.com. Animalstodayradio.com. And visit us on Facebook. And you can also subscribe on iTunes. Listen to us on iTunes. That's animalstodayradio.com. Thanks for listening.